El Julio or Adam? I'm so confused right now. I like I keep looking you up, and when I look on Instagram, I find El Julio. When I try to look you up on the internet, Adam Mel is obviously your name, but yeah. everybody calls you El Julio. In my in my poco español, I know that that is the Jew. But what what is that? It's complicated. Yeah, what's the what's the deal? So what is it? You know, it's like a Jekyll and Hyde almost, right? I, I um, got a general market side to me and a Latin side to me. So um, in the general market, it's Adam Mel, but uh, for the last God knows how many years it's been El Judio uh, in the Latin side. Um, being, uh, I guess, a, a white Jewish guy in the Latin world primarily for the last several years, the name just kind of stuck. Uh, someone One day someone started calling me Hudi, you know, and then someone said Judio and then El Judio, and it's just kind of stuck. If you ask anyone in the Latin business who Adam Mel is, they don't have a clue. You call label presidents or whatever, who's Adam Mel? But Judio, they know. They got you. You're they got Judio. So, so in this interview, I, I'm going to mess it up. I, I think I'm going to call you Adam. I'm going to call you Hootie. I'm going to call you everything. Are we good? Yeah, it's like Burger King. You can have it your way. <laughs> okay, well said. Well said. Okay, cool. So let's start with hustling. I mean, part of this industry is that it's a very it's a big hustle because you're working with people that have never done what you're trying to get them to do. So you're hustling to make sure their name is is what it, what you always vision it will be. You started in 20 or sorry, in 1999 yeah. and you've been working for on and off for 25 years in this industry. Yeah. Do I so, look that old or no? No, you do okay, not at all. We, we look the same age. Well, I and don't know about the, that. We're wearing matching outfits right now. Yeah. I mean, look at this. You would think the stylist we called the stylist today. I know, I yeah. know. Um, but it, so 25 years in and out of this industry, there's a lot of hustling. So what does it mean to be a hustler? Oh man, this is I, hustling. You know, some people take it as a negative connotation, right? Um, it is a hustle, though. It's a grind. Um, you know, in the management business, right? You work for yourself pretty much. There's no paycheck every two weeks. Um, there's no three percent increase year over year with your salary or the other things that are in the corporate world. Um, and you're constantly hustling, trying to to make it work, uh, whether that's getting the right producers and songwriters to work with your artist, whether it's uh, getting your artist out of bed or whether it's um, trying to figure out the right record deal or the right publishing deal or um, the right lane. I mean, every, every day, every piece of the music business is a hustle um, and also a grind. For sure. And yeah. I mean, it, it seems like you're also, you're, from your character, from just who I know of you, uh, being on the phone, you sound like such an honest guy. You sound like you, you, you sound like you play it right every single time, and and you're open and upfront with me. So I'm asking you questions. Just yesterday, we were talking on the phone, and you're giving me the playbook. So, how important is it to be upfront with your artists and and people in this industry? And yeah, how do you, how do you run that? Yeah, I mean, you know, my dad told me once a long time ago. He goes, and I don't know if he's right or was just full of shit. Am I allowed to say shit on him? Sure, yeah, uh, yeah. shit. Uh, you judge a man by the, pe the 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 people that come to your wedding that that you invite, and uh, by the people that come to your funeral. Um, and I think that some people get put off a little bit by being direct or, or being honest, especially in in this art world that we live in of music, right? Because you're dealing with very sensitive artists, right? That that aren't necessarily as business savvy as yourself or as others, but sure. they're very creative and business savvy in their own creative lane, right? Um, so they bring on people like myself to, to help manage that business and, and kind of carry it through. And what I found in this business is if you're not direct and upfront to your artist, um, it's probably not the best way to be. And, and also, you can't be afraid of your artist. You, you have to let them know, the, or him or her, you know, the hard truth um, sometimes even if they don't want to hear it. 
um, that not only has to do with contracts or business or um, even the music, which can be a very sensitive and, and touchy conversation. Um, so I find, um, and I've kind of led my life this way of just always being very direct and to the point. It also saves time. Yeah, and I think I think you know you also talked about doing right to others the way that you'd want to be treated too. Um, have you had anybody kind of like do you wrong where you just know that that you'll, that will never happen to somebody else? Yeah, I mean, there's definitely some people that have done me wrong. Um, I'm not, I'm not gonna... <laughs> sure, sure, sure. But you t you spoke to me about like being pushed out of a like record label and how you would never want to do that to any other manager. So yeah, you know, there's a lot of silos in my business now. Not only management, but I own a record label, a publishing company, things of that nature. And on the management, on the label side, you know, when when I go to sign an artist and they have a manager, you know, I'm very sensitive to that conversation and to that relationship because. I've been on the other side of that. Um, and I've been on the other side of that with, you know, a label wanting to kind of have it all right. And, sure. uh, control it all and, and being pushed out and, and, um, a lot of manipulation and, and really a lot of the horror stories that, um, you might read about or hear about or see in the movies. Some of it is true. And, uh, I think when you fall victim to that, um, you kind of look at things differently and how you're going to treat people in the future. Um, there's definitely two sides to that story, right? You know, there's some things I could have done better, some things that, you know, in that situation that this label could have done better. But, uh, and, you know, I own my mistakes and et cetera, but it didn't have to be, it didn't have to go where it went. And I, I think that one thing I took from that situation, which I think made me a better person and also a better label owner, is that, you know, if an artist is coming with a manager, you know, that's, you know, you got to respect that position. And um, uh, it's something that, uh, you know, you, you need to support. Right? Sure. And, and, you know, it's it's also, I'm, from hearing what you're saying, it's also stay in your lane, but it's also find open lanes, which you told me. And I think if I'm going to title any card, to, you know, to our interview at all, it's open lanes without a mouth. <laughs> I mean, it, finding that open lane, but staying in your lane. So if there's a manager, you're not going to do them wrong by bringing, by trying to be, you know, butt in. And get in that way, right? Is what you're saying? Yeah, it's like, exactly. Stay in your lane, provide some constructive advice. Try to, you know, lead the horse to water. You know, you can't necessarily make that horse drink. Drink, yeah. Right? But, um, you know, give the tools and support that, um, you know, the artist and the team needs to be able to help, you know, the whole group win. At the end of the day, it's, it's just about winning. Couldn't have said it better. Yeah. So career talk, um, you're, you go to uh, UMass Amherst mm -hmm. and you study uh, sports and entertainment management. Yep, that was, yeah. Right? Okay. And so you immediately after then you moved to Buffalo. Yep. Six days after I graduated college. Six days? Yep. Okay. So you're thrown in My six dad days told out. me, he goes, you got four years. That's it. So I, wow. yeah, after the four years of college, I had to figure it out. Six days later, you're thrown in and you're, you're, you're put to work. Oh, yeah. You're put to work as a promoter? So I went to go work for Feld Entertainment, which is uh, Ringling Brothers, Disney on Ice. Back in the day, they also had Siegfried and Roy, which is no longer there. Ringling Brothers is gone and come back a little, et cetera. But um, yeah, so Feld Entertainment uh, is the company, um, still around today. Yeah. Um, actually, they moved to Florida a couple years ago from D.C. It was the most incredible experience I've ever had in my life. Uh, I've, anyone that's uh, listening out there that wants to really learn the fundamentals of marketing and sales... Um, I would highly recommend working for that company because I mean, Feld Entertainment, in my opinion, is one of the best training grounds to learn how to become a promoter and even a manager, right? And at the time, I never even thought, well, working for Feld was going to help me become a manager. But there are so many things that I learned from that company X uh, hundreds of years ago, it feels like, um, 
that I've still used today. Um, it, you know, whether it was learning how to buy media, whether it was learning how to speak in 10 second sound bites. I hope I'm doing okay today, by the You're way. You're killing it. Uh, PR training, um, you know, down to the, down to actually counting seats in a theater or an arena. And you might ask yourself, why are you counting seats? You know, back in the day, Ticketmaster and those systems, and it wasn't as, um, uh, organized as it is today right sure and um you know there were times when you would find that that and uh, that venues would put more seats in the in the venue than were actually on the manifest um so even today when when we do shows um you, you if you ever ask some of my staff they'll tell you, uh, you count know, the seats i every time we go into a venue uh, we count the seats and it's you know we never have any issues but it's just something that is always in the back of my head um you know, of just like the little minutia of, of training on how to be a good promoter and manager. That's great. And um, you're from Texas. Yeah, originally. You spent a lot of time between Houston and Dallas? Yeah, so I was born in Maryland, actually, D.C. Um, but my entire family, my grandparents after the Holocaust came to Houston or San Antonio. My dad's family were like 1800s in, uh, in Fort Worth. Somehow my mom and dad were met, you know, along the way. Um so I spent uh, like kindergarten to freshman year in high school in Houston, then left and uh, came back in like 07 to Dallas and uh, was there from like 07 to 14. And yeah. Uh, so yeah, half and half. And did you have Latin roots? Is that... I'm as white Jewish as they get, man. Really? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Okay, we're going to have to get into this because that's, that's, the, that's the inconsistency there. You're working in the Latin yeah. world and, and you're white and Jewish. So... How did you get involved in the Latin community, and why why were you gravitating towards those uh, the Latin community? You know, I think that I'll first ask the question about why I gravitated towards it, and I'm not sure that I gravitated towards it because of this example, but I think that this example kind of um, opened my eyes to being open and accepting of of a lot of different communities at a very young age. I mean, this is a wild story, but it's just the truth. My grandfather um, in Texas used to build apartment complexes. And um, at the end of each apartment complex, he would throw a party for everyone that worked at the you know, construction site, right? So you've got the construction people, you've got the corporate people, you've got everyone coming together, right? And you know, he'd bring in the barbecue or the Mexican food or you know, the, the booze and everything. And instead of my grandfather hanging out with the executives and you know, being the, the, the stiff you know, guy, you know, he was the one that was always going and playing you know, craps or, or games with... Uh, you know, with the construction workers, right, which were primarily Mexican uh, being in Houston at the time. And, you know, I, I remember, you know, one, one of these parties he brought me over, he's like, you know, Adam, you know, you'll be the guy that collects the cash while they roll the dice. And, and I'm like, well, what am I doing? You know, we <laughs> call them Zeta, right? And uh, the point of the story was, is that I learned at a very young age, you know, like my grandfather could have very well be sitting over there with all of the, all of the corporate stiffs, right? But instead he chose to interact and integrate and communicate and uh, really learn about other people as opposed to you know just sticking to his world and the latin business kind of i just fell into it and it, it was something that back in 1998 when i i moved i was at feld entertainment at the time and then they moved me to chicago to run the the midwest right and um i was in charge of chicago and a couple of the markets there but when I got to Chicago, the circus had played the whole month of November in, uh, in Chicago, right? And it was two weeks at the Allstate Arena um, and two weeks at the United Center. And obviously Thanksgiving was the last two weeks of, uh, of November. Sure. So that Thursday night, this company would uh, do a partnership with the circus and they would call it Dia de los Hispanos, right? Hispanic Day. The concept was real simple. Um, bring in um, a Latin talent, 
to sing after the circus as a way to introduce Latinos to a gringo circus, right? That morphed into then bringing in a Spanish ringmaster and it, it became a really awesome, you know, kind of unit, business unit, if you will. Right. Um, so I'm the promoter in town and I meet these gentlemen. I think they've been doing it two or three years before I got there. And we were selling 7,000 tickets on a Thursday night of Thanksgiving. And I was like, wow, right? Like, people are coming on Thanksgiving, right? And, and I said to them, I said, well, how do we sell 17,000 tickets and sell out the United Center? And they said, well, we need to raise the budget from 15 grand to 45 grand. And we need to bring in an artist named Joan Sebastian. I said, who's Joan Sebastian? They said, it's the Garth Brooks of Mexico. I said, I got it. I go, here's your 45 grand. And I trusted them, right? I had no clue who Joan was. I had no idea. We ended up selling out the, the United Center, right? And I saw that. And not only did we sell at the United Center, but we were literally, they had told me that this was going to be so big and that Latinos buy last minute that we need to change the ticket price on the, on the system the day before so that the day of tickets are going to be more expensive than the day before. And that was wild, right? To, and, wow. and, and circus terms or concert terms or in general market terms, you never touch the ticket price, right? It, the ticket price is the ticket price. In the Latin world, it's a little bit different. And sure enough, you know, that Thursday comes and line around the United Center by the Jordan statue. I mean, I remember like it was yesterday. Wow. Sold at the United Center. 17,000? 17,000 strong. It, wow. was, it was sold the press box. It was crazy. Um, no one could believe it, including myself. And then that was sort of my first, you know, introduction to the Latin market, right? Second year, we decided to do Thursday and Friday. You know, Thanksgiving and then the day after, we did two different. We sold out both again. We brought in other talent. Um, and then I said to myself, you know, I said, we could do this around the country. You know, like, this could be cool. Because it was only happening in Chicago. And so I went to the Latin promoters and I said, hey, you know, I've been with Feld for three years now. I kind of feel like I hit my peak. You know, once you do Chicago, New York, or L.A. for that company, you're in a top five market. You're really, you know, you can be the lifer and stay forever or you can kind of leave and, you know, do your own thing, right? Sure. So I decided to leave. And, you know, I think I'm 25 or 26 at the time. And I said, hey, what if I go and get you, like, the top 25 markets and not only we do the circus, but we do Disney on ice. We'll do 75 shows a year. I'll go get you the business. I'll quit. And I'll, you know, this will be something that I'll run. And plus, you'll give me some of your business and we'll create some sort of like, you know, partnership. I think they thought I was crazy. I thought I was crazy too, right? But it ended up working that way. And um, that's how it started. I, uh, wow. I left Feld. I went to, uh, you know, uh, the company. And um, that was my introduction to the Latin music. That... That led to us then um, acquiring the Aragon uh, in Chicago. The, you know, we acquired some other clubs in partnership with another gentleman. And, you know, we were running regional Mexican shows, you know, hundreds of shows a year, national tours, um, you know, from Juan Gabriel to Vicente Fernandez to, you know, Moenia. To, I'm, I'm listing rock and regional Mexican. I mean, it was all genres of, of, uh, of music. And... It was a crazy experience, something that I, I really, really appreciated that I um, was a part of. And, and I learned, I still, to this day, have several friends um, from those years that I still do business with today. What great beginnings. I mean, it, it sounds like that was like your, that was a great staple piece to start your career. How do you, you know, culturally, you're gringo hoodio, right? Yeah, yeah. So, I'm a white Jewish guy. I mean, <laughs> I got no Latin sangre, <laughs> blood. Right. So, so cultural differences, how do you do business in the Latin world? Yeah, I mean, look, the first few years or probably five years, it, it was, right, I, mean, 
I you didn't speak know, Spanish? I, I'm now much better than I did before, <laughs> right? Um, I speak pretty good Spanish right now. Yeah. Um, uh, for, for me, it's solamente pocas palabras en español. <laughs> when I drink tequila, it, uh, the Spanish is even better. Even but, better, even better. No, um, <laughs> but, but, you know, look, it's, it's a cultural thing, right? Um, you know, I learned, I'll never forget, you know, we were going to this artist's home, you know, to go pitch for a tour. This is back in, in the days in 2000. And the guy said, and I had this whole deck and everything together. And they said, you don't need to bring the deck. I said, what do you mean? I spent all night on it, PDF. You know, we've talked about this. It was the whole, you know, the whole gringo presentation, right? <laughs> gringo presentation. They said, you don't need it. And I said, well, what do you mean? They said, when a Latino person invites you to their house for dinner, the deal's done. Wow. I'm like, ah, okay. <laughs> like That's cool. Just, you know, certain like little things that you learn um, culturally. Has that ever not worked out? Mm. Where you've ever been invited and thought maybe that that might be something? No, no, I don't. That's how it works. Yeah, I mean, I, I, look, I'm not. That's not a. It's more of a. It, it, listen, if you're invited, uh, if you're invited the first time, okay. But we knew the art. We had, you know. Sure. But it was more of just. There was already a level of trust, and if a Latino person's going to invite you into their house, um, there's that level of trust that it's the deal's going to get done. Let's talk and hang out and talk about everything about business. And then, you know, once the dinner's over and everyone's happy, the lawyers and the managers and the agents will get involved and, they chop it and up. figure it out. Great. So That's great. And I, I mean, I could go on and on about the cultural differences, but it's, um, yeah, I mean, you know, sometimes Latino, I mean, I might be a little bit more aggressive, you know, sure. and, and, you know, uh, there might be, you know, moments that, you know, hey, you know, slow down, gringo, you know, but <laughs> it, um, you know, after so many years in the business, we all know each other and sure. we, we all know our positives and our negatives. You're a visionary and a creator. Um, you find, you create new, unique ideas. Um, from what I understand, you find underdeveloped projects and you make them great. Um, so how is having a vision and open, like, can you talk about open lanes and understanding your open lane? Because that's your niche. So how do you find what is available for you to be able to go down that lane? Yeah, so in music, right, it takes the same amount of time to break a club act as it does an arena act. This is my truth or my opinion, right? Um, opinions are like assholes. Everyone has, has one. one. Some smell worse than others, right? <laughs> so, you know, um, people might differ, but this is what, what I feel. Um, and in the music business, you have to have that open lane to become that arena act, Right. First and foremost, you need to have hit songs, right? You need to have great, great, great songs. Um, I've learned in the past and got my ass kicked several times by having good songs, right? Especially in the early years and even in the general market when I was trying to break acts there. Um, but if you have hit songs, the next thing you need is an open lane. And what I mean by that, and we can sit here and pontificate about it for days. And What is an open lane? What is an open lane and, and are you right? You know, look. Artists, when they go into the studio, right, they have the, the creative gods, the devils in their head, right? You know, I have the business god in my head, right? So it's the same type of god, right? The same person talking in my head that's in an artist's head. We're just talking about two different things, right? And for me, I mean, you know, look at someone like Lady Gaga, right? There's a lot of stories there about how it broke and who was involved. And, you know, we don't have to get into all that. But at the end of the day, you could draw the conclusion that why the world was able to accept Lady Gaga was because Madonna was older. And in walks Lady Gaga, right? And here we are, right? You can make the same, the same you, could, you could 
sit here and talk about, you know, Adele, the new Barbara Streisand, right? Oh, yeah. um, in the Latin world, you could say, the, which you probably don't know, but Paquita del Barrio, right, was a huge regional Mexican artist. And then Jenny Rivetta came and filled that lane. Jenny's dead, but there, there's, you, you can always... It's the new wave of artists. Correct. And, and no artist ever wants to sit there and, and have you compare them to someone else. But if you understand a lane and you understand how to... A lane of where the fans or where people are able to receive something, right? Um, you have a real shot. And if you, if you can take that objective thinking, right, and, and apply it to then revenue, right? Because think about it. If you're one person to a household or six people to a household or however many people are living in a house, right, no matter if we're in good economic times or bad economic times, there's not enough household income to support fully two artists or three artists in the same lane. What I mean by that is this. You can stream the two or three artists in the same lane. You can buy a dollar twenty-nine iTunes or whatever. I, mean, I don't think anyone buys iTunes anymore, but you, you get my point, right? But to go to a concert, to pay for parking, to pay for dinner, to buy a T-shirt, to pay for drinks, to go out afterwards, it's and now Very expensive. and Very nowadays expensive. concert tickets are through Insane. the roof, right? I mean, yeah, the Taylor Swift. I mean, I mean, with fiasco, I mean the, that fiasco, that's, but, that's but the anomaly. Now, well, yeah, but now yeah. it's like three hundred dollars for the rafters to go to any of these eight stadium tours. Yeah, so crazy. So I feel that you just have a much better chance in life as an artist, as well as a manager, as a team, if you're able to creatively identify what is the open lane, and then be able to go get it. I mean, you could say the same thing, like again. You could say Cardi B made Nicki Minaj sit down for a minute, right? Nicki Minaj has been able to come out. And again, I don't know these artists. That I all respect to their teams. I'm just I, talking yeah, my truth, true. right? Yeah, true. Um, and, and I think that I try to apply that thinking, especially in the Latin world, when I'm looking to either manage an artist or sign an artist to the label or you know whatever the case may be. Sweat equity is a huge thing. I mean, you talk about sweat equity partners. Mm -hmm. um, you describe some sweat equity moments. In your in your career, what have you done to kind of like show that you're eligible to be those those people's managers? Well, I mean, everything I guess in the management world, especially an artist that's not making any money, it's sweat equity, right? Sure. Um, but no, the first the first deal that I did with the with the Latin promoters when uh, when I left Feld Entertainment was a sweat equity deal. I'm gonna go. You're gonna pay me a salary. I'm gonna bring you these 75 shows and. You're going to give me a percentage of this and somehow we're going to fold this into the company and I'm going to get a percentage and it kind of all worked out, right? Is that what it takes? Do you think that it's it's appropriate to say that if you are going, if you're willing to put that sweat equity forward, that you are willing to start your career in a way that comes very naturally? You're not money hungry. You're not trying to get something out of everything that you're doing. Is that a really big component to who you are as a person and how it, how it all starts? I think it's not only a component to who I am, but also the generation that I come from. Um, one of the things that I would love the, the new generation or the current, you know, young bucks, right, um, <laughs> you know, to learn is they're very, this, they're very much money and credit focused. Um, when I meet a lot of these younger um, professionals that are just graduating college or two, three years out of college, you know, some of them think that they should be being, being making $150,000, $200,000, you know, two, three years out of college, right? And the mentality has changed, right? There's, it's, it's sort of like, I, I call it like the Zell versus the invoice generation, Okay. right? I used to wait 90 days to get paid. Now, someone, Zell me right now, otherwise I'm not doing it, right? 
So right. it's that mentality that has shifted over the years that I think has actually hurt society, and not only the music business, but just society in general, um, where you have a lot of great young professionals out there that really I see a lot of potential in, and, and people that some are on my team and some that I wish were on my team. But it's also, I think, a a way, a process in which to get them kind of thinking in a mindset that's more long-term as opposed to instant gratification or zell, if you will. I love that. Right? I, lo I, I love that comparison. That, that It makes total sense. It's very visual. Um, speaking of a story that I heard that I got so many visuals oh, on. Here we go. You yeah. talked to the wrong people. <laughs> <laughs> I, I heard that there was like a formula, like there's like a way that you cash out at the end of the night and the way that, that you get paid everyone gets paid if you're you know at the settlement at the end of the night yeah but it used to be kind of you get what you get so what's it is that changed yeah i mean now everything's computerized it's simple i mean um for example you know justin we just literally we're, we're filming this in the middle of december right now and you know justin just finished his tour yesterday and yeah you know, it's all Ticketmaster and Live Nation, and they send you their settlements, and you know, you don't even sit there and settle. You know, it's it's changed a tremendous amount um, than it has 20, 25 years ago. But you know, back in the day, uh, <laughs> and I know where you're going with this one. Is it the gun? You got uh, a yeah, gun pulled yeah, on sure, me? Yeah, sure, I got a gun pulled on me. But you know, look, <laughs> I was out on the West Coast. It, it, remember, regional Mexican music, right, is um, a lot different, and even to this day regional Mexican music and the way in which it's promoted is a lot different than any other music in the business. And I'll give you, I'll just, I'll start, I won't bore you with the details, but I'll start here. <laughs> like the big promoters, like the Live Nations, the AEGs of the world, they're not even really involved in that business. Um, sure, if you're the top three, four, five artists and you play the arenas, great. But that genre of music is really in what they call bailes, dances, right? Or jaripeos, rodeos or just normal venues, primarily in the barrio, Mexican neighborhood, right? Or primarily Mexican is what this music is. And um, it's different, you know? It's, uh, it, it, there are assigned promoters for each territory. Um, you can't go into those territories unless you are with that promoter. If you are with, if you go against that promoter, that promoter who is assigned to that territory will put up a free show against you just to prove the point. I mean. It, it's it, even to this day. I mean, I laugh. There's so many funny stories just to see how that genre works, and and I mean everything that I'm saying here is is out of love and respect because that's where I really cut my teeth, and um, I love the loyalty and the consortium of those promoters and how they work together, and they work together in a, in, a, in a very different way. Um, and again, this was a long time ago, but. You know, there was an argument over the settlement sheet. There were no numbers. It was all paper tickets and, you know, a guy counting at the door. I put a guy at the door, but, you know, my guy was counting something, then this guy was counting. And, you know, we were off by X amount of dollars. And, you know, the, the, the promoter at the time was like, this is no, and, you know, I'm the gringo, right? I'm like, no, this is how it's going to be. You know, no, 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 <laughs> right, right? And, you know, the, the, you know, basically the, 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 promoter, the, the, the guy, the venue owner, right? You know, he just put a gun out on the table and, and uh, you know, didn't threaten me or anything like that. I don't want to, you know, but it was basically a sign of this is how it's going to be, Adam, right? And yeah. th this is how we're going to settle yeah, tonight. Yeah, we're, we're ending here. Yeah, this we're, is it. we're this ending is where here. where it stops, yeah. And, um, you know, it ended that way real quick. So, but again, that's a great story. And the person that that happened with, with me, even still to this day, 
um, I stalked to that person. Really? Oh uh, yeah. It, really? Because it, it was it was just a moment. It was just like. <laughs> And I, because I, it's like, I couldn't believe that that actually happened. He's like, well, I had to teach you, you know, and it, yeah, it, it, and it uh, worked. It worked. And but, it worked. But those are moments that I think the new generation misses, right? And I wish that. That's the knowledge that's missing. Yeah. And I, I, I wish that they, you know, now there's so many rules and so much HR and there's so many things that, that are, are, that have kind of come into this you know, not only the music, but just in life in general, business in general, right. where you can't really do that anymore, right? But that moment taught me so much about negotiating and talking to people and, and you know, getting from point A to point B that you really can't kind of use those examples anymore without <laughs> getting in a lot of trouble. Yeah, for sure. So so let's let's move into Dallas. Mm -hmm. You're, you worked for the Dallas Mavericks I did. at some point? Yeah, okay, I did. Okay, what year was that? Do you... So I started there in September of 07. Okay. Yeah. Um, I was there for two seasons. Um, so long story short, um, tying back into the circus and, and Feld Entertainment, um, my really good friend at the time was um, senior VP, VPI of you know, marketing in the Dallas Mavericks. Great. Um, uh, at the same time that he had called, I was living in Las Vegas at the time. Um, I had had some other projects out there. And... Um, at the same time, he knew that my mother was sick, who was living in Dallas, um, you know, had cancer, etc. At the same time, I was actually getting a divorce in Vegas. My mother had come down with cancer three months earlier. He called and said, hey, um, there's a director of marketing position open at the Mavericks, and I think you'd be perfect. I'm like... Sure. And yeah, that sounds awesome. The rest is history. Yeah. Um, and how was that? How was working in, in, in it was Mavs Nation? Honestly, you know, look, there's, again, I think just like in the Feld days... There's a lot of lifers in sports. I didn't want to be that lifer in sports, but I definitely was excited and um, really, I think, um, took advantage of those opportunities and learned. Um, again, you know, understanding family entertainment, understanding how to tour 18 trucks in Disney on Ice and go from arena to arena, understanding how to count the seats, right? You can uh, understanding how to buy media, all those things that I did from you know 22 to 25, 26 years old. I was now applying a lot of them, not so much the touring, but I was applying a lot of that in terms of the buying in the media, the, the promotions, things of that nature, into this job. Um, you know, funny enough, I created the first ever uh, Festival de los Mavs, which still, from you know to this day, yeah. is what 17, 16 years later, still happening every year. Um, so I was able to bring some flavor, right? Yeah. Um, and you know, some fresh ideas. And and Mark is. You know, look, you don't have a lot of contact with Mark. I mean, he's obviously, he answers emails in two seconds, and that yeah. is true, and I, that, that that is not a myth. I know, you know, people always ask yeah, that. Yeah, he responded to me in nine minutes. Yeah. What? It, it, I don't know. <laughs> How does he do that? I've You know what, though? That's also, you know, I learned from that, right? Because I also, and people are always like, why do you yeah. respond so fast? Or how do you get back to us so what fast? What a lesson, yeah. And, you know, if this guy's a multi-billionaire and he's getting back to me in two minutes, how am I going to let something sit? What right? am I going to complain about that? Yeah, exactly. And I learned, you know, from that. But more than that, just in, in the way in which there was a hands-off approach, um, you know, this is kind of your department, right? And obviously I had to report into, you know, people and things of that nature. Yeah. But it, it, um, he was embraced fresh ideas, you know, a festival, you know, a Latin festival, um, a, a lot of great ideas. It, it was a great experience. That's I, so cool. Yeah, I highly recommend it. Yeah, I mean, the, the Mavs are hit home for me because I'm from Dallas. Yeah. And my brother, I'm so proud of him, but he got out of college this last year. 
Now he's one of the, like, the, the few PR people on the team. Yeah. He's officially hired by the Mavericks. That's and great. I'm, Congrats. I'm, I'm wearing head-to-toe Mavericks gear now. Yeah. And, you know, Not that yeah. I haven't been since I was a kid, but it's very it's a cool environment. It's yeah. a very cool company. It's a great company. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's Should I awesome. call you for tickets now? Or? I, I, yeah, I think. Yeah. I mean, I'll, yeah. I'll have to relay. I'll have to <laughs> see what my brother can do. Actually, you know, and, and they do get, and they get tickets all the time. It's amazing. Um, and so any, like any fun stories with Cuban? Did you, did you, did you ever like have any fun stories? I mean, look, he was very supportive and, um, there, there was a lot of, you know, just great times with him. Right. It just, uh, you know, I would, I, when there was really, what I found to be interesting and th- I don't know what it's like today, but back in 07, there was really no marketing budget. It was like, if you want to spend money, email Mark. Right. And I actually appreciated that. Right. Sure. It was like, okay, he's the, money guy. He's the boss, right? Yeah. He, he's going to tell you straight away if it's yes or no. Right. Yeah. Um, but just in the way he would answer, you know, like he would never tell you yes or no, but you could sit, tell by yes or no by what his answer was. You know, I'd send him an email. Hey, I want to do this, this, and this, this is what it's going to be. And he'd be like, save me a seat. That would be his response. Amazing. Right. That was my yes. Great. Right. Yeah. And, and to me that I appreciate that kind of, um, interaction yeah um, how the hell did we just spend fifty thousand dollars on this thing right <laughs> he said save a seat i thought that's what he meant said he said go forward um so then you end up like which is crazy because if they look at like if i look at your resume mm-hmm. you look like you lived a hundred lives i feel like i lived a hundred lives yeah, well but at this point how's the now, gray hair it, huh? looking great yeah, you're looking great yeah. um and, and not and, even colored and, and, yeah and yeah. you and you had powder and makeup right before uh, the this. whole it's, thing man it's great yeah, yeah. no shine yeah, i'm living my good. movie looking good yeah can i pause you for a second so you did you see a lot of tours growing up were you taking a bunch of shows because you say you wanted to be a manager when you were a kid yeah you chose being a manager for college so this dates prior to being 18 years old is there something i'm missing here where did it go back no i mean i always knew i always thought that i was going to be in the music business and i was going to be a manager i like i've really wanted to be in this field since i can't even tell you how long right since i was a kid I forget it was at 82, 83, don't quote me on the date, but my first concert I ever went to was the Like a Virgin tour with Madonna. Madonna. No the way. The Beastie Boys opened up, right? I mean, I was, I have goosebumps. You can't I got tell. I got too. this jacket on here and I can't, you yeah, know. You can't tell from my yeah. end either. But um, my dad was a, a big concert guy. He used to always play this game with us that um, if you can, and he would always turn on the oldie station. If you can guess this song, I'll give you a dollar, right? And the harder the songs, the more the money, that. right? Yeah. Um, we never won much, but. Uh, <laughs> Um, but he was taking us to shows at a young age. Um, and I remember my sister and I, and, and my dad, we went to go see that show. And then like a year later, we went to go see the, the victory tour with Michael Jackson. And it just kind of snowballed. Wow. I was going to these big stadium and arena shows and I'm like, man, you know, like this is amazing. And you know, my family comes from lawyers and restaurants and those are two jobs I didn't want anything to do with. And, uh, it just, to me, this entertainment, right. Or just the vibe or talking to people that that connection going back to the grandfather playing craps with all the construction workers like those fun you know marketing memories creating memories right i always felt like that was where i was going to land and that kind of felt right to me with management yeah thanks for that by the way i I love that backstory is so cool and you're a madonna fan i'm guessing hugely i I, I still i still (laughs) i still listen to the music yeah so yeah this episode is sponsored by better help if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. Give online therapy a try at betterhelp.com slash come up and get on your way to being your best self. Visit betterhelp.com slash come up today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot slash come up.
back to the show. Um, I, I love that you defined success is managing the vision through others. Mm -hmm. Can you speak on this? Yeah, I mean, it's real simple, right? You can't have an I mentality in this business, especially in the entertainment business. Um, there are people that have I mentalities, and there are some successful people that have I mentalities, but they're not either very well liked or don't go very far. Um, it's the Zell guys. <laughs> well, there are, there are a lot of Zell guys out there that, that, that have a we mentality, but right. they're, they're definitely a I want it now mentality, sure, right? Sure. Um, <laughs> but uh, I think, you know, look, as a manager, right? Yeah. Your job, or as a label owner, your job is to carry out the vision of the artist, right? So the artist's job is to make the music, write the music, produce work with the producer, whatever it is, right? But your job is once that song is given to you, right, you have to manage that vision, right? And if you don't put the right people in place, whether they're working with you or for you or with another company or an agency that you're hiring, whatever it is, right, your job is to manage that vision, right, and to get your success from others. And, I mean, it's pretty simple. Um, it, it, the, the, the saying it takes a village is, is very true. I mean, it, it really does take a village, especially in this business, um, to, you know, make a star. So you've told me that you would totally advise against becoming a solely a manager. And I find that interesting. Can yeah. you give us some insight on what the alternative is? Don't ever become a manager, only a manager. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and I mean that yeah. tongue-in-cheek, and I also mean that serious. But right? yeah, you mean that. If you want to be solely a manager, right, later in life, right, or if you get lucky early in life, and you have revenue-producing artists that are making or generating, you know, millions of dollars and you're able to take your 10 or 20% or whatever you're making, or, you know, you negotiate with the artist, right? That could be a good life, right? But you don't own anything, right? And yes, there are great success stories of managers and artists starting from the beginning and going to the end, right? And making it in kumbaya, right? But that's really the exception. That's not the rule. Right. And... What, and then, yeah, you could say, and then in manager contracts, you have what they call a sunset clause where you're going to get paid for X amount of years if the artist fires you or things of that nature. Great. But you put all this time and energy into managing an artist, right? And at the end of the day, you don't really own anything, right? Despite what your contract says, because you're really suing an artist or getting into that kind of trouble, it's just a waste of time and a bad look, Right. Um, but if you have a record label, right, or you have a publishing company, you actually own the intellectual property, right? So you own the master, right? You own the publishing, the composition, right? right. As a manager, you own air. You, know, you own a relationship. And you hope and pray that that relationship is going to be solid, and I feel very fortunate, right? But my advice to anyone that that's you know hasn't made it yet in the music business or, or is still grinding right and if you're you know running with, with an artist and you're moving around and and you know you're living the dream and you know you might be making a little bit of money you might be making a lot of money right at the end of the day you know that dream could you you could wake up out of that dream and it could be over right and at that point you have nothing and so while I joke there is some serious seriousness to it that if you are able to be a manager, that's great.
but also figure out ways to actually own something. Um, and owning a management company is great as well, right? And there's a lot of big successful managers out there, but even nowadays, a lot of these big successful managers are getting involved into the intellectual property. And so that's my point of like, just don't be a manager. So to keep that artist around and have that loyalty, it's also having your, your, your foot in every single door so that you're able to, you're able to provide not only, I'm sorry, I want to rephrase this question. I wrote what, or I, I want to ask you what separates you from other managers. Mm -hmm. And I want to know if it's the, the scariest thing is that you wake up one day and you lose all your client, you lose your client. How do you show loyalty and make sure that they know that they're in a safe space so that this never happens? So there's a couple stages to that, right? Excuse me. When you have an artist that's new, right? They're subjective, meaning that art, music, painting on the wall, right? But in this conversation, music, right? Art. Art is subjective. When art becomes objective, right? Meaning money is now being made, fans are going, you know, engaging. That's when everyone goes nuts, right? That's when the label tries to push the manager out. That's when people start chirping in the artist's ear, they're stealing from you or this or that, right? That's when everything and anything can happen at that minute, right? You just got to hope and pray, right? So to train them correctly or to, to be in that right moment, you have to be there when everything is subjective. You have to make sure that you're there through all that phase before it becomes objective. Well, you know, you hope that, you hope that the artist is loyal. You hope that the artist doesn't forget, right? You hope that, um, you hope it works out. Sometimes it does, and more times it's worked out for me than not, right? And like I said, I've, you know, I've had a bad experience once, and I think I needed to have that bad experience to learn. Um, but to answer your question, right, I feel like if you're honest with your artists, they might not necessarily like to hear it, but they'll at least respect you for hearing it, right? Sure. And that's sort of like the road that I've taken. I mean, and, and there are horror stories that you can read about or I'm sure that people have heard about from lawyers giving something here or, or, or agent doing something here or manager doing something here or label doing... I mean, there's a million stories out there, right, of, of crappy business, but... I just try to play it straight and hope that the artist sees that and can see through all the bullshit that's out there. That's great. Yeah. Who are your artists? Let's talk about your artists. It's, it's time to talk about your <laughs> roster. Um, I feel very blessed. Um, yeah, I would love to, I'd love to list them. Yeah. So on the, uh, on, there's, there's two different silos, right? There's the, per, there's the management side and then there's the label side. So on the management side, we, I have producer Dimolo Flo, who uh, is, I guess you could say is the Latin DJ Khaled. Um, as, God did. Yeah. <laughs> God did, and God did with him too. <laughs> um, he's a, a tremendous ball of energy, the biggest heart in the world. Um, very talented producer, billions of streams on Spotify, um, has as many sneakers as DJ Khaled, <laughs> um, probably as many hits as well. Um, and, um, is uh is you know one of those loud and proud and and warm fuzzy guys um and so i'm blessed um you know to be a part of his career um on the artist and songwriting side uh justin keyless who is um just an amazing person um very structured uh organized um great artist 
Um, probably one of the most sought after pens in the business. Um, and um, has a tremendous footprint around the world for his artistry. Um, you know, whether it's in Latin America or Spain or, or US, um, fans all over the world and, you know, all the Instagram, all the, all the fun data that, that everyone looks at. And, um, and then on the man, the last person on the management side that's, um, moving on up is Isaac. Um, that's an artist that, um, I, I can't tell you how happy I am for him because he's worked and I haven't been a part of it for the, the entire 10 plus years that he's been working. Um, but the music business is the only business where one day you're completely broke and the next day, you know, you're making it. And I'm not saying that he was completely broke or, and now, and now making it, but he just recently had a success and a song that he wrote finally hit. And, um, he, we're expecting uh, very big things from him next year. So that's great. Yeah. You would consider him part of a rising star category. Correct. correct. He's on the rising star category. Absolutely. Great. Um, and what, you know what I love about him so much is he really knows who he is. And you, you can tell the press loves talking to him because he just gives it to him raw. Uh, direct, right? Yeah. And, um, and he, uh, you know, he, he, he make, he's, he's a ball of energy, and I love him very much. So those are three artists on the management side. On the label side, and, and I think it's also important to note that um, I, I want and expect and allow all of the artists on the label side to have managers um, because that's also a conflict of interest where a lot of people get into trouble where you're going to have a label but you're also going to be the manager no just listen if you own the actual if you're the label and you have that intellectual property just allow the artist to you know work with you know their team and eventually it'll get figured out right Good you have bad. to be careful when you're when you're when you're working with those teams too right like correct. you want to make sure you're picking the right person correct you're not look it's, it's sort of like when you get married right when you marry a man or a woman you're marrying the man or the woman but you're also marrying the family right sure. same thing with an artist right when you sign an artist <laughs> you're you're signing the artist and you're signing you know if they have a manager if they have a camera person even if they have a creative person that they like the way that they do their artwork like you have to bring in that entire team or at least explain to them why your way is better. And, and again, you just hope that, you know, all that, um, all that works out in your favor. Um, but again, I think that you don't have to worry about that if you just tell the truth and you're just direct. So on the label side, um, there's a group of producers and artists that I've signed. Um, on most, uh, I think the one that's right now leading the way would be Yorkin, um, artist out of Panama who really has a, um, a great flow and a great vibe and uh, I'm really excited about. Um, and there's also T.O.T., um, who's also, uh, there's a lot of Panama artists uh, on my roster. Mm -hmm. um, Panama has a big influence in reggaeton, if you know the history of, of reggaeton. Um, BCA, um, and then there's a, a girl, a female, uh, that's singing English, actually, that's Latin. Um, her, and we call her My Name is Alex. Very empowering, not just Alex. My Name uh, is Alex. My Name is Alex. Um, and then on the production side, um, there's a, an array of producers that I've signed um, that are also producer artists, sort of like DJ Khaled, but right now they're just producers. So you kind of have to earn your, your respect in the business and have a certain amount of cuts and have the relationship with the artist before you can be the artist producer. Mm -hmm. um, and so we have BK, who I call our Boy Scout. Um, he's the perfect gentleman, you know, married, kids, structured, corporate, like, Zero problems, right? Such a gentleman. So the, like, he is my Boy Scout. Okay, great. <laughs> <laughs> uh, then we also have um, PM, 
uh, who's, uh, I call him my nieto, the grandson. Uh, he's a, a 19 year old, uh, I think he's 19, maybe he's 20 now. Um, 20 year old, really super talent uh, producer. Um, Sir Boss, um, I know I'm forgetting a couple people. Azeto uh, is from Peru. Um, really excited about him. And then JVY Boy from Chile. So there's a, what I've tried to create is a group of producers that come from different parts of the world. So that we're picking up different sounds from uh, different part of the world and also um, a lot, you know, really bringing them all together and having them have their ear on the ground and you know, who's hot in your country and you know, being, trying to take them out of there and, and you know, make them international artists. Amazing. Yeah. So how did you meet? Let's go through a few of them. How did you meet Justin? So going back to the, before when we were talking about, I got a call in, 2000, in March of 2016 from a friend of mine in Chicago that said, you have to go and meet this guy named Justin Keyless. I said, who's Justin Keyless? And, I, and he sent me a song. It was Sierra Quisiera. And um, I listened to the song and I listened to the tone in his voice. I'm like, I got to meet this guy. So I had found out that he was signed to Rich Music. And I had called, or I think I had saw Rich and Josh. Josh is the son. And uh, I saw them down here in Miami for a Latin billboard event because I was working with Universal Latin at the time. I was producing their events and doing a couple other things for them. And... I, saw, I met with Rich and Josh, and, I, and that's when I told them. I said, hey, I'm going to come down here and work for free. Um, and I know that Justin has an album coming out, and I really want to help you because I have this label experience, and I want to help you, you know, take it number one. And they get a ton of credit for finding him and breaking him. And, you know, I, I came in at that first album stage, right? Um, I don't know. He probably, at that time, Justin was maybe a ten, fifteen, twenty thousand dollars $20,000 night artist. So he was clearly had started and, and was on his way. Um, and uh, so I met him, and then after that, I said, hey, you know, let's figure out a way to work together. And that was kind of like the whole sweat equity thing that we had talked about. And um, Flo, at the time, was just a DJ, and he was also assigned to Rich Music. He was Justin's DJ. Justin had found him in a club in Tampa a year or so before that and said, hey, I want you to be my DJ. And Flo had no idea how to produce at the time. I mean, this is two, this is only seven, eight years ago, right? And out of nowhere, I met met both of these guys, and um, the rest is history. And they're your top guys. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, in the general market. They're definitely. I mean, I'm sorry, in the Latin market, they um, you know reign supreme. So. And I, I like that you told me the story. Correct me if I'm wrong. Flo does something that is very similar to DJ Khaled. If I help you, you scratch your back. You scratch my back. So what he does is he basically allows people to come on, like he'll work on an album with somebody and then, then in return, they'll help him on his album. So it's... Yeah. So Flo is a, an interesting, he's an interesting, uh, it's very interesting how he does his business, right? He, he has to be creative. And I guess this makes sense, right? He has to be creatively inspired to work with you. Time is money, money's time, right? But more importantly than any of that, he's got to like it, right? And yeah. so... What I like about him is he can't be bought. I mean, people have offered 25000 30, 40, 50000 for, you know, hey, I have a new artist and I'll give you whatever to get in the room with Flo. Nope. Um, so his mentality, which, you know, we've had spirited discussions about how to tweak it or whatever, but there is no tweak in that model. 
he wants to work with who he wants to work with, and he he trades him. He trades the tracks. So that's, that's right. how he he puts his music out. And they have a bond. I mean, I'm sure they have a very good relationship. Both Ooh, Justin, Justin, and, Justin and Flo. Oh my God, they lived together for three, four years uh, yeah. back in the day. They, I mean, they're always in the studio together. Right. Um, Justin writes all the time for for Flo. Um, you know, when Flo goes and pitches tracks, or it is, and and I, you know, I, I guess I'm just the big brother of of the two of them. You know, it's. Uh, um, managing the vision through others, right? right? And and you work with such these are such high profile names. So do you work with other high profile names? Like I know Justin's got a song with Daddy Yankee, and he's got a song with Nicky Jam, and yeah. you know Archangel is a friend of a friend of Flo's as well too. And you they all go so far back. Yeah. So can you speak about being around those teams and how you guys fit in? Yeah, you know, look, I don't. I think the only time I like I was telling you before we're here in, in uh, my good friend Vinny's studio, right? And or our good friend Vinny. Vinny also kind of grew up with us, right? And now he has this beautiful, you know, empire of uh, of studios here in Miami. But we, uh, I don't really get involved much in the creative process uh, with these guys because how am I going to tell Flo and Justin what the hell the writer produced, right? You got number one artist and songwriter, you know, songwriter, artist and producer. You know, they're going to listen to me. But I think what what I, in terms of being involved with the other teams, and I, I rarely go to the studio. Not because I'm not wanted or welcome, and they all love it when I walk in or make it's a when surprise. I come in town. Yeah, only when you come to town. Yeah, only when you come to the studio. Right. But I think what really, um, my interaction with these artists, and not to name any in particular, is sort of sometimes when they might have a problem. Um, and I want to be clear, it's not, and it's not any particular artist that you might have mentioned or not mentioned. It's more like... They might have a problem in business. They might have a problem with something that's going on or they might have a legal issue or this. And I field a lot of phone calls and just give advice, right? Um, and I think that that's sort of a place that I have with a lot of these artists that I don't have anything to do with. I don't want anything to do with them, you know, but it's more of, um, and the advice that I'm giving has nothing to do with management or stepping on the manager's toes. It's usually more, I guess it's more judio advice, right? They're coming to me for like the, the money or, or like the, the, you know, Hey, you know, I, what do you think of this? Or a variety of questions. And I think that's my involvement with them. Um, I do. It's funny though, when, when we do camps, right? Because the artists, they like to go to these exotic places and, rent mansions or, or things of that nature and you know they set up these 10 bedroom mansions and they put three bedrooms or studios and sometimes i'll go on these trips because it's a nice four-day vacation for me and yeah. i'll be like i'll be like the chef because i love to cook and so my interaction is um you know i'll cook for the guys for two three days and you know we'll have some fun and those are some really cool moments that i have with them that i i'll, I'll never forget this episode is brought to you by better help it's 2024, and I want you to think of something different with me here. New year, same you. Throw away that old new year, new me talk. It's time for a clean slate, but with the same you. Oh, sure, you could get a gym membership and wait 25 minutes for the treadmill to open up because of all the gym heroes in January, or you could do something for yourself. Therapy helps you find your strengths, so you can ditch the extreme resolutions and make changes that really stick. BetterHelp is entirely online and super flexible to your schedule. Give online therapy a try at betterhelp.com slash come up and get on your way to being your best self. 
Visit BetterHelp.com slash ComeUp today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash ComeUp. And now, back to the show. Masters and owning masters. I, I mean, I understand it, but I would love if you'd explain it. Yeah. Just for general basic knowledge, what does it mean to own your masters? Yeah, so if you own your masters, you actually own the recording. So the, pro- the producer... It makes let's say that you're an artist that doesn't know how to produce okay so you hire a producer you pay that producer you will pay that producer a flat fee or you negotiate whatever it is maybe sometimes it's percentage maybe it's points or whatever it is but you're you are then the owner of the master right you then put that master out on spotify and you have to use a, distri- a distributor to put that master out right and then you become the owner of that master um it's the master recording whereas Owning your own publishing is you're owning the writing, the composition, right? And there are a lot of people that can be a part of a song, whether it's, you know, maybe there's co-writers on the song, maybe the artist doesn't write, maybe the artist wrote the whole song but doesn't produce, then you have to bring a producer in, so the producer then shares in the publishing. So, you know, it depends. I mean, I've seen, especially in some of these, like, uh, rap songs, you know, you see, like, 10, 15 people on a song or this, that, and the other. A lot of executive producers. Uh, yeah, there's a there, there there's a. <laughs> That's the same thing in the film world. Too. Yeah, like, oh, okay. Uh, yeah, um, there's a lot of people on it sometimes that shouldn't be on it, um, and there's sometimes you know whatever it is. But that's basically the general concept. And then you have the right to then sell those masters to a label. Um, excuse me, you can lease those masters to a label, at what they call a distribution deal where you're leasing the masters for a certain amount of time and they're taking a percentage, but then you get them back once the deal's over. Um, I mean, there's a million ways to, to, to skin it these days. But it's important to own your own masters. You have to have a worldwide footprint. You have to have a worldwide team. It costs millions of dollars to be able to properly take an artist from their bedroom to the arena. It, it just, it, it's, and it's very rare. And yes, of course, there's an exception to every rule things of that nature. Um, I guess the biggest example right now, Peso. Even Peso Pluma. I mean, he went... How did that happen? I mean, you know, look, I, I can't tell you exactly. I mean, I know certain people on the team, but for the sake of uh, the time in this interview, I mean, you know, I, it, it happened quickly, right? I mean, there was no there was no playing two, three years in nightclubs and theaters and following the steps, right? It was, to me, what I understand, it was like going from your bedroom to the arenas, which is rare, and mm-hmm. kudos to those guys. Um, For sure. But again, Can that be recreated? Uh, absolutely. But again, Peso has a great team, right? It wasn't him by himself, right? There's a tremendous team behind him from the beginning that helped fund it, helped move it, helped take it to the next level. Obviously, him as the artist, is he's the engine, right? And he wrote amazing songs. It's also, I think, a function of how many Mexicans there are in this world and how it was kind of time for Mexico to have a Bad Bunny-esque, you know, type artist. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's very, very rare that you will just see one artist with no team just blow up out of nowhere and, and be independent and stay independent forever. At some point along the way, they will sign with a label or things of that nature or bring partners in. Uh, before we get into anything else, I want to talk about the hip-hop and the symphony, the symphony sorry, yeah. hip-hop symphony project that you did. Sure. Um, you had Nelly, you had Common, you, yeah. had, you had all these different artists that came into it. What was your vision there and how did that even come about? So my good friend Steve, who, again, I met at Ringling Felder Entertainment. Yeah. Again, it's, it's amazing how 
you know, that job had, has stemmed from, you know, so many different businesses in my life, right? Uh, my buddy Steve, over the years, was, after he left Feld, was doing symphonies. And um, I went to him one day and I said, hey, I know Nelly's business manager. I think we should do, a, a, you know, a Nelly symphony. And he's like, why do you think that'll work? I said, well, Nelly has a catalog that's deep, right? He has a lot of hits. He's got hits. He's got a Big lot of hits. hits. Um, you've got grandmother and grandfather millionaires who are the donors that want to feel cool to give their grandkids and sons and daughters tickets. Yeah. They will relate to Nelly because they probably have heard a Nelly song, even though they're 60 sure. or 70 years old, right? Because that catalog is very deep and all over pop radio. I said, I think a Nelly symphony would work. And so Steve says, let's do it, right? So I call the business manager and I'm like, hey, here's the idea and this. And then we put it with the manager and this. And next thing you know, we're on tour with Nelly. And it was, <laughs> it was unbelievable. It was a smash, really. Um, that then led to others. Um, and, you know, and then I wouldn't say that um, by any means I was the first person to do a hip hop symphony, right? But there were... I don't think it was being toured and, and moved around the country until, you know, we had kind of started it together, Steve and I. And yeah. um, to this day, now you see, you know, or, you know, hip hop doing a lot of symphony. Um, so it, it was called the Night of Symphonic Hip Hop and then featuring the artist. And I, I still, um, to this day, I, I'm going to do a reggaeton symphony. Um, That's I, cool. I promise you. Uh, the, the problem that you have with that, right? is the connotation that people, that artists associate with symphony. They think it's old, right? So if I'm going to do a symphony, I'm washed up, right? Or I'm, <laughs> I'm old. I look at it a little differently, so it's, it's tough, right? Um, but you will, one day we'll sit back. I love the symphony. Yeah, I I, me it. too. I mean, I love it. I, I, I think, and I also think it's, it's, if you think about it, right, it's the bones of the music. Right, because you're actually right. It's all the instruments are there. You actually hear the real bones of the music, and I hope one day that uh, I can convince a reggaeton artist. Because I've talked to several big reggaeton artists about doing it, and I'm sure if one of them is is watching this, hopefully they'll call me and say, "Okay, Julio, we're gonna do it." So. Please connect to the idea. <laughs> I want to go to this. Um, I wanted to go ahead and take this moment to let's get your phone out for a moment. Oh boy! But. Let's call somebody, one of your one of your clients. I believe you're going to call in who? Who's, who are we going to call in? We're going to call two today. We're going to call Justin and we're going to call Flo. Great. Oh, here we go. We here got we go. him. We got him? The tenth time is the try. You know, usually he's always playing EA Sports when I talk to him in the morning. All right, Flo. Here's Zach. Hey, Flo. Be nice, all right? How are you guys? Hey, what's going on, Flo? How are you? I'm good. Panama, when it rains? The phones get crazy. I don't know why. The internet. Adam, like, come on, dude, pick up. I'm like, I got you, bro. I'm Yo, here. what are you doing in Panama? You live there? Nah, I live in Miami. I come over here to visit my family every year. Amazing, amazing. It's always good to spend time with family. Well, I'm turning I you up in the studio every year. Amazing. Well, hey, I want to talk to you about Adam for a minute, or El Julio. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what do you do? You ever call him Adam? Never. Um, I actually call him Adam all, all the time. Only when he's angry. When you're angry. <laughs> when, I'm ang when I'm angry, I call him. All the time that I'm angry. Okay. Now we got a new different thing. We call it, we call it, we, we read the, the 50 Cent book the other day. Um, 
one of them. I forgot what it's called. I think Husper Harder, and I'll call him fifth. <laughs> That's great. And he calls me Tony Ayo. Tony Ayo. <laughs> hey, so what is? Uh, how long have how long have you guys known each other? Two thousand sixteen, fifteen. Yeah, something like yeah, fifteen, like eight years. And there. how important has he been in your life? Man, now listen, and, and I don't talk about anybody just because you're in an interview. I always keep it real with you guys and any anybody that I do the interview with. Um, he actually changed my life, and I changed his. And <laughs> we we met it. We met. We met, and I, I he wanted me to be what I'm doing now. And I'm like, he was like, produce flow. You got to produce. You got to produce. You got to produce. I was like, bro, I'm not ready for it. When it comes time for it, I will do it. But then when it was time for it, I went and looked for him. And here we are. Wow. And he compares you, he calls you the DJ Khaled of Latin music. Do you get that Are you get that often or no? I do get that often for the collaborations that I do on the Latin market. Yeah, I love how you handle business. I think that's so cool that you do the... You know, a trade. I mean, if you're going to work with me, I'm going to work with you too, and we're going to work together, and we're going to make something happen. I like that. That's what that. the business is about. Everything is about you got you and, and the next person always getting right, you know? You got to create a, a bond first before you work, you know what I mean? It's always important for me to create a bond before you work because it's different, and it feels different. Yeah. And what's... um Okay, so what is what has uh, El Julio done for you that... That has it just changed your career. Anything specific? Any fun moments that you guys have had together? Talk to me. Just start start landing on me. Manage my financials. Okay, <laughs> that's a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good thing. At least he's yeah, honest. Actually, I'm gonna share a good moment. Um, I called him one time. I was like, "Why are we so low on money? Why are we have this? Where this two hundred thousand win from this account?" And he was like, Flo, he was mad, actually. He was like, Flo, I actually bought a property. What are your permission so you don't spend the money? What? Yeah. Well, he knew. <laughs> that, that's a little, he knew. Wait, that. I love that. No, that's amazing. And, and he, he didn't like the idea, but. He Flo, signed off on the house, at least. Yeah, yeah, he signed off on it. But <laughs> I, I'm like I mean, a I, I, didn't, I didn't agree with the idea. That's what it was. I'm like a wife with flow, right? So you know, like when the husband makes the money, the wife makes sure that it's preserved. I, I'm that role with flow. <laughs> I see you work with a lot of different people. You work, you collaborate a lot. Has he helped you with with many collaborations? Big collaboration. He has helped me a lot with also the relationships on the on the on the other side of of helps me a lot with, with in the hip hop market. Also helped me a lot to to manage my my time. Become a better person all, all overall and manage how I have to do my business, which becomes a lot helpful because uh, not all managers do that. You know, what I, they only care about one side of the artist and he actually takes care of you as a friend, not as only a manager. He tells it to me straight. That's awesome. That's amazing. That's my he guy. Seems, he seems like he's he's there for your knowledge too. Like he, like uh, like you know, as a family member would. He's not he's not worried about. It's not about the money. It's about you making sure that you're correct. So and everything's good. Listen, at the end of the day, everything is about the money. The people want to come and tell me, good. no, it's not about nothing. Everything is about the money because he's not here just to be my friend. We're here to together to get this money, but he actually from the 
money situation, we became friends. You know what I mean? He sees the potential in me, and I see the potential in him. But it is about the money all the time, bro. Love it. It's about the it's money. always about the money. It's always <laughs> about the money, but you got to keep... you. While you chase the money, I always tell this to my friends, while you chase the money, you can't track side. And, and, and if the road's straight, you got to go straight, because if you do bad things and you do sneaky shit, sorry, you can't curse. You can curse? No, yeah, curse. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> If you do sneaky <laughs> shit, and while you get into the money, then it becomes a bad relationship. So you can be to the money, but I always keep the one hundred with with your partner. Bro, so you work you work a lot of you work a lot of late nights. As also like you know, is he around for some of those nights when you need him? Like you work pretty late, I'm guessing, right? You're in the studio Let a me lot. Tell you and- a big example. Yeah. Let me tell you a big example. When I was coming up before he was my manager. Um. Late night, I'm gonna call you since you say late night. This thought came to my mind. He was there when I was working on Farruko's album Gangali years ago, and he used to call me. I didn't have no money, I was in Miami hustling, trying to get to the money. But I was working on big things already, but the checks haven't came in. You know, it takes a while. He used to call me the Ubers. I used to wake him up at seven in the morning after I got out of the session to call me the Uber back home because my car didn't work. True story. Wow. Wow. True story. That's True story. amazing. Okay, I want to ask last question. Just anything specific that we, we, we haven't mentioned. I want to talk about him specifically. So what, uh, any fun, amazing fun stories and great times that you guys have had? Anything you, you, want, you want to say to him? I mean, it's an open obituary right here. <laughs> Man, before, before he was married, basically. <laughs> <laughs> We used to go to 11, and we used to have fun, man. I can't, I can't say it all, but but me and the, and, and him and, and our friends, we went over there and had a lot of fun, man. A lot of fun in 11. Those are one of those times that you just go and you have fun and you forget about work. We're still we still we, go to 11. I, I, love I, 11. I just look at the menu and I'm on a diet. All right, that's different. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. I, that means I can't eat. Hello. So I, I, I <laughs> <laughs> Yo, hey, thank you so much for for talking with us today. I really appreciate it. He, he you got the greatest guy in your corner and it's so cool to hear it from you. Appreciate it, man. God bless and you guys rock on over there. Let's go. All right, bro. Here, I'm passing it back. Thanks, Flo. Love you, bro. Be Love good. You, bro. Bye-bye. Bye. He is the DJ Khaled. Let me tell you, man. Bro, that guy's got some energy. Bro, that guy you have no you can't he's got some energy let me tell you i don't i don't think i'll ever die because of that guy <laughs> he keeps you laughing i is laughing and screaming sometimes and awesome. i mean it's uh it's pro it is a very special relationship you know Flo could have had any manager in the latin space manage him you know um he knows them all they all know him he's friends with them all all good vibes with them all but I think that he was probably looking, and why I'm here, right, is, is he was maybe looking for something different um, than what the normal, uh, stereotypical Latin manager, you know, would have brought. Flo doesn't need any introductions in the Latin space. He doesn't need any help. I mean, he knows everyone and then some, and he knows them and their mothers and their fathers and their brothers and, you know, ex-wife and wife and girlfriend or whatever the case may be. Um, and I just think it works with us. It, it's just, um, 
you know, he he literally trusts me more than I, I wish he would trust me. Um, you know, I wish sometimes he would take. Um, that's really cool. That's really yeah. cool. That's special. Yeah, that's that's special. It's it. I mean, you know, uh, granted, I, I you know I have a rule. <clears throat> I don't touch money or con or sign contracts, so. I make every one of my artists sign their own contracts. I don't have power of attorney. I never want power of attorney. Um, and I also don't pay the bills or handle the money. That He has an accountant. Do I approve and this and that? Yeah, but when I approve, he's on copy or me approving or he's in the WhatsApp group. Um, even though he doesn't care, right, and he has blind trust, it's just important for me, um, you know, that there's a third party there. Um, yeah, but yes, the, that's where it gets complicated. That's well, and also when something subjective becomes objective. To go back to the to the beginning of the or the middle of the interview, a lot of people talk. A lot of people talking. Adam Steele, who stealing from you? Well, no, who not stealing from me because he doesn't write the checks and he didn't sign the contract. So whatever you're telling me is bullshit, right? Smart guy. I, so I don't want to be in that world. But yes, he ha there. It is a. It is a very special and unique relationship, and I and I do speak with other managers, whether it's Latino or or hip hop or or general market managers, and I find that our relationship is one that not a lot of managers um, have with their artists. And, and I cherish that and value it, and uh, I will never take that for granted. Amazing. Yeah. Are we ready? Yeah, so here we go. You want to call Justin Gillis? Let's call Justin. Here we go, Justin. La Promesa. That's his nickname, The La Promise. Promesa? Mm -hmm. Let's see what kind of shit he's going to talk. Yeah, he's going to talk some shit. <laughs> Hello, hello, hello. Hello, Justin. Say hello to Zach. Mr. Hey. Mr. Hello. La Promesa, hello. What's up, Zach? How, how are you doing? How are you? Everything good, man. Everything's great. Yo, thank you for hopping on and thank you for putting on a shirt. percent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, bro. Hey, um, I want to talk to you about Adam. That's why we're here. Sorry, El Judio. Do you even call him Adam or you call him El Judio? I call him El Judio. El Judio. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. Okay, so I want to talk about I want to talk about Hootie and I want to talk about like your 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 time together. You guys have obviously spent a lot of time together. What is what 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 kind of guy is he to you? Well, first of all, he's he's a great guy, you know. That's why I have him next to me. Like I trust him a lot. Um, he's a, a great human being. It's like talking about his per personal as a person, I think he's a great guy, you know. And for me, that comes first, and then second, business-wise. So I believe he's he's great as well. Absolutely, and I, from what I from what I know, he has helped you among other people as well too. But helped you with your freedom. And what was that day like when it, when it all when it all happened? You guys you guys at eleven? Is that is that what I hear? <laughs> no. Yeah, I, I think we went to celebrate. Yeah, we went to yeah. celebrate. So I think it was 11, right? That we yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just heard, we just talked to Flo, so I, I heard it was a, a lot of 11 trips. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, it was a lot, a lot of them, but, but yeah, no, good memories, you know, and we always, we always try to, like, you know, like, we have our backs, one in each other, so that's, that's important. That's amazing, and, and how is Julio in a professional setting? Do you see him, do you see him working business for you, like, do you, or does he stay... Do you, do you get to stay in your lane and he stays in his? Is that is it very do you, do you work hand in hand? How does that work? Yeah. Well, well, it depends. Yeah, like like I let him do his his thing, you know, because uh, and then he'll ask me for advice or I ask him for advice, and then we we'll go from here. We, we'll we'll feed from each other. Like, what are we feeling? Like, oh, I call him and I feel this and this and this. Okay, so how are we gonna work towards that? And then we'll go we'll go make it happen. You know, we we'll, we we'll start working like. 
there's a lot of communication. You know, we talk about so it's important to, to me and him be on on the same page all the time. You know, for sure. And what about like what about favorite memories? Let's talk about favorite memories. Oof. You can go hard on favorite, them. Favorite memories on Sundays we go to the beach and we just relax and talk and and have like a like a great time. Justin likes to uh, bring out the little boombox and start doing salsa on the beach. Is that right? <laughs> yeah, I, yeah I, I think I was the first one that brought Julio out to the beach. I was like, yo, I got a spot that I go on Sundays. And I took him, and from there on, he loves it. He goes more than me. <laughs> amazing, amazing. That's true. So Sundays so, are a good day to, to reset and get you guys like just back in, in, you know, in friendly order. Yeah, is, I, yeah. Think, I think Sundays are, are, are good for us, you know, when we spend like Sundays together, like, because we work a lot, you know, so it's also like you need to build on the relate on the personal relationship on Sundays. I feel like it it, um, it helps a lot. You, know? you you work a lot with a lot of very big. I mean, Daddy Yankee, Daddy Yankee, Nikki Cham. You work with a everybody. lot of everybody, bro. You work with everyone, yeah. and you just got off tour. Yeah, congratulations! But when you work Thank with you. all these people, um, how how important is it to have Julio on your side and? Does he work the room and the sides that you're not out? How does that work? Well, yeah, because Julio takes care of the business, you know, like <laughs> the percentage and everything. So it's important because I don't want to be fighting over percentage. So I send um, the bulldog over there. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. I go fight for the percentage on the publishing. <laughs> because, I mean, like, yeah, I, I feel like we deserve this because what I wrote. So now you go and I did my part. Now you go and, and do your part. So. Amazing. That's how we keep it. Yeah, that's how we do it. What about what about uh, just uh, this is the last question? But just something that we haven't really talked about. Any fun stories that that you want to share about having such a great manager? I mean, ma that's what this podcast well, is all about. So management. We, well, we have we have a lot of great memories. A thing that we do as well when we travel is like I'll pick a restaurant a day. He'll pick a restaurant the next day. You know, and and whoever messes up has to pay for dinner. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. <laughs> Justin is a Justin. Is and the food is bad. You pay for the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> so make, make sure you pick a great spot. You know, so that's we, true. We do we do that a lot. So I feel like that's something cool that we have going on every time we travel. Amazing. <laughs> Justin, uh, he'll he'll find a restaurant on, on. He usually goes to like the TikTok to find all the different trends and. Uh, I'll find something and yeah, it, we're always. It, he's like, yo, you better not mess this one up, Hootie. I'm like, all right, don't. <laughs> we only got one night in town. Don't mess this dinner up. <laughs> you know what? Actually, I do have one more. So I just ran a marathon for the first time, and it was it was uh, 26 miles. I've never done anything over 20, but having my family there and having my friends there made me feel something. It made me feel. I'm even feeling it right now. Uh, it made me feel emotional. When you're performing, when you're on stage, and you look back and you see. Hootie there and you see everybody's there does it give you a, another sense of pride to have him with you on that stage or to be there at those performances yeah of course i feel like um every artist i think feels great when the team is there supporting and and you see them and they having fun you know not boring they, they're, they're not bored like he's dancing and they're like jumping and having fun i'll see them from from my side eye i can see them like having fun and that makes me that makes me happy when they're having fun that's the best that means I'm, do that means I'm doing a good job <laughs> <laughs> awesome well yo I really appreciate it this is this has been more than enough I, I we thank you for jumping on and uh, it's of so course. cool and nice to meet you and uh, and you seem like you got some great you got a great team 
Yeah, no, nice to meet you. Likewise, and yeah, keep it going with, with el hoodie. El judío. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Justin. Gracias, hermano. Ciao, bro. Be good, bye. Love you too. Bye bye. That was awesome. Yeah. And it, like I, I mean I think I think my last question there was something that that made me feel something. What do you feel when you're on stage with them? Well, you know, it's funny. I have a rule. I never stand on stage. You don't? No. I think it's disrespectful to the artist to stand on stage. Really? And a lot of um just call me traditionalist or whatever it is, but a lot of people in reggaeton and a lot of people in rap, they like to have their own movie, Literally. right? Um, if you notice on my Instagram, I don't post any photos. I post stories or this, that, and the other. I follow very few people. I follow my artist and my family. Um, I even told my girlfriend I'm not following her until we get married. Um, <laughs> <laughs> true story. Um, but I, I usually watch the show from the sound booth. Uh, soundboard, uh, or I'll also go to different parts of the venue and just hear what other people are saying or watch what they're doing because to me, that's my job. I know that Justin is going to kill the show. I've seen it hundreds of times. I know that the team, sound, lights, road manager, everyone, I know that they're going to kill their job, right? Managing the vision through others, right? The most important thing for me is how am I going to learn by going to a Justin show? It's by watching the fans or listening to the fans or also doing some cool things for the fans. Like Justin's very, um, loves kids, right? Um, he's always had it, you know, really a soft place for, for children. Pulls up kids on the stage. Well, uh, he doesn't pull kids up on the stage, but what I, what, what I know though, is that if I bring a mother and a daughter or a son backstage or father, I know he's going to react and I don't even need his permission, right? I know he's going to react so positively to that. So very, it's not often, but you know, there I'll sometimes see in the crowd, and I don't go to every show, but I'll sometimes see in the crowd a five-year-old or eight-year-old, and and I'll go up to him and say, "Listen, I'm Justin's manager. Nice to meet you. You know, I have the pass, so they believe me, right?" I'm like, "Listen, please meet me in this corner after the show, and I'm going to bring you backstage, and you should just, you know, it may, again, I have the goosebumps I got again, goosebumps yeah, too. but it, it's you know, to me, that's what I think is special and about giving back, right? Um, but yeah, I for me. I'm learning about Justin's fans and, and what they're engaging in when I'm out in the crowd. Standing on the stage does nothing for me, and quite honestly, it doesn't do anything for Justin. And what he, he just said so many things, so I don't know yeah. the take the takeaways here, but... Um, when he was referring to just... So he doesn't look bad, right? When he, when he looks to the stage, yeah, I mean, there are people there, this, and, and yeah, I mean, he does... Sometimes he'll, uh, he'll see me out on the soundboard or whatever, and I know he'll give me a signal, but... Um, but by and large, I'm uh, I'm usually moving around and connecting. Has with he ever family. called you out on stage? Has he ever been like, no, my manager? No, not there no. Right now. I, and and you know what? And I'll tell you, there are some managers like that in the business. Not yeah. only in reggaeton, but just in the business. Yeah. I, and again, this is my second interview I've only given in my life. Um, I'm very much like there's there there's only one artist on the team. It's Justin, right? I don't need to have my social media or my movie, I, that doesn't mean anything to me. I, I win, I know when I walk in the room and people un, know why I'm there and there's, you know, we're having a business meeting, that's my movie. I don't need the world to see that. I'm very secure in who I am. And I also think that that's something that's important because 
there are a lot of managers out there and a lot of agents and a lot of team and not not good it's it's their it's their world their business i just choose not to do that um so it's sort of kind of what makes me me okay i want to get into advice we do this at at the end of every single episode and i want to talk about for somebody who's coming into the latin music scene an up-and-coming artist without a manager what should they be doing right now to be ready and to prepare for a great manager my advice isn't just for Latin, right? This is advice just in general if you're an artist because um, it, it doesn't matter the language. Um, first, if you want to find a manager that someone that's been there and done that, right? I guess in my position, right? Um, I don't like to speak about myself that way, but you that's get That's what it. we're here for. Yeah, right. Um, if you want to, then you have to have something going on, Right. It's like stages, right? If you want to have, a, you know, a manager that's like myself that's focused on artists that are doing really well and really big things, I don't necessarily have the time to put into someone that doesn't have a buzz or doesn't have anything really going on. So the first thing I would recommend is you have to create community, right? You also have to create great songs, right? Creating great songs will cr- create community, right? You have to have a certain swag. You have to have a certain... You have to have an open lane, right? You have to really, we, people at my level have got to see that their, your subjective art is now objective, right? Because time is the only thing we don't have, we don't get back in life, right? We can make more money, this, that, the other, right? But time, we can't get it back. So at 50 years old, right, to work with an artist that has nothing going on is going to be really tough for me to invest. It has to be something just so unbelievably, unbelievably special, right? And I will tell you that there are some artists that I'm really looking at right now that might only have 100,000 monthly listeners on Spotify, doesn't have the millions that, that, that Justin or Flo or that these other artists have, right? So it's not that you're out of the game if you, if you, you know, don't have um, millions of, of monthly listeners on Spotify or millions or hundreds of thousands of Instagram followers, but you have to have something going, right? But most importantly, what I look for is also engagement, right? Community, um, and obviously great songs. And candidly speaking, you know, I'm going to send it to Flo and Justin to see what they think, right? Because um, when you have the, the opportunity and access to have uh, a huge producer, artist, and songwriter next to you, it's like that, that means something. Not that I always agree with them or this and that, but at least I can, I can get a, a good read, yeah. right? Um, advice that I would give to any artist that is looking for a manager, don't rush into anything, right? Don't rush right in and try and sign something, right? Any manager or anyone, even if it's your uncle, or your father, any well, your father, but you know, even I've seen some weird parent situations. But especially if a manager or anyone in the music business, they recommend a lawyer for you. Don't use that lawyer. That's the first thing you shouldn't do. Now, yes, I know pretty much all the lawyers in the business, right? But what I do is when an artist comes to me and says, you know, hey, I want to work with you. They're, okay, yeah, I want to work with you. But I, I, I tell them you need a lawyer. They're like, well, can you recommend? I said, look, I'm going to give you three or four names. If you like one of those three or four, great. If you don't, you come back to me, I'll give you three or four more. You know, but I don't want to pick your lawyer, and I don't want to be on the phone call. I said, you have to have that. There, there has to be that separation. Again, this goes back to being direct. This goes back to being honest with your artist, leading them the right way. Um, 
that you know you gotta make sure that you have some sort of separation of church and state and that the artist can actually f have some sort of control and uh, to their career because otherwise it's going to explode once that artist becomes objective making money everything's going to go to hell if you don't take care of it along the way um so that would be the, the, i think some advice get a good lawyer and make sure that that lawyer is someone that you pick um and it's not someone that the manager or the label or someone else picks. Great. Uh, Flo talked about it. It is about the money, but it's also about family. So you call your artist your family. Yeah. Um, father kinship because you have no kids. Maybe this is your, you feel like this is your purpose in life. Maybe to just, you know, to have that family. Um, so any advice on building your family for somebody who's just starting out as a manager or an artist? So I think in terms of building the family, right, in terms of starting out, as a manager, you have to understand the investment of your time versus what you're going to get out of it, right? What Flo talked about with it's about the money. It, I mean, he, he likes to, you know, joke and this and that. But, yeah, of course, you want to monetize. You have to live, right? And I think that when you're starting to build your family, be careful about just jumping in as a manager with an artist that has nothing going on right even if you're the homie and you've been around that person and this but you have to really you have to really see objective things happen and with my first two artists you know i've had great success in the latin world i've had some good success in the english-speaking rock world and i've had what i thought was great success what i thought was good success in the pop world but i was spinning my wheels Right. Um, I thought that, you know, I, I was investing a lot of time and a lot of time in trying to build that family, but I felt like I was out hustling the artist respectfully. Right. And, you know, normally managers make 20% artists 80, right? So there's that 80, 20 rule, right? Well, if you're, if you're, if you, the artist is making 80% of the money, right, they should be out hustling the manager. Right. And that's why I think Flo and I and Justin work, right. Cause we challenge each other to out hustle each other. Right. Yeah. But when I was building the family early on, back in 2007, right, I was building the family with people that I was out hustling. But yet, I was so stuck on my own hamster wheel and trying to build that community and that artist that looking back on it, as much as I love them, it was never going to work because I, I wanted it more than them, right? And... I, and even though there was a little bit of money coming in, it wasn't enough to sustain it. I was putting money in and putting money in and putting money in, right? To the point where you, you almost like, it's like, it's like a nightmare, right? You're living in this, in this uh, nightmare. But always make sure that when, if you're going to spend time, that you actually see forward progress, right? And that you also have the artist to make sure that that artist is out hustling you. Sure. Is the artist not going to wake up? Are you going to have to call him 20 times? Or this? Yeah, I mean, that's just normal, right? But putting in the work, right? Making sure that the songs are right. Making sure that nowadays, 17 years ago, not so much, but you know, nowadays the social media, they're engaged. Oh, I don't know how to do social media. Well, figure it out, right? Yeah, if you don't know how to do that, I, I, I can't help you. Every artist will tell you, I hate social media, right? You got to figure it out, right? Yeah, yeah. You have to sell your movie somehow, right? When you have failures in artists, with artists, you can see the red flags much faster on how to get there that much faster, True. right? True, yeah. And 
that's my, I think, some advice to young managers who want to become a manager. And I think the other thing that's really important for young managers in the business is if you want to become a manager, go do, go take two or three or four other jobs besides being a manager first. Because you have to learn how to market. You have to learn how to understand to buy media. You have to learn how to count seats. You have to learn how to tour. You have to understand you know, that budgeting. I mean, there, there's a lot that goes into, you're managing an artist's life, right? And those are very important steps that, sure, there are some managers and, you know, they get lucky and, you know, they're 18 years old, they grew up with this kid in high school, now this kid is everywhere, you know, out of, out of their bedroom and, 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 and making it, right? But even those managers, I wish sometimes would bring people on to kind of help in the process. Yeah. Um, and I can honestly tell you that even when I was starting out, I had this really hot artist that we thought was going to go and we had a real shot. Um, we made it all the way to radio, Kiss FM in LA and all that. But I will tell you, you know, one of the things that I messed up on, right, just to be human about the situation is that was my f second artist and I didn't know really a lot, right? And there were people along the way that wanted to help me and I didn't listen to them, you know? Um, I don't think necessarily things would have been different because I think there was other things that were going on that I don't really want to get into as to why that artist didn't work. Mm -hmm. But I wish that I would have maybe taken, I think I would have been gotten there a lot faster if I would have maybe listened a little more than just talked, right? God give you two ears and one mouth. Right? <laughs> Amazing. And I think, I uh, thank you for being candid about that moment. You're uh, Thank you for being human about it. Um, I think the last thing I have questions was, is, don't lend your artist money, right? Yeah, look, this has nothing to do... This is not directed towards uh, Flo, Justin, or Isaac. Um, but I've been in some bad situations in the past where... Um, uh, primarily in the general market where, you know, if you're a manager, right? You're a manager. You're not a bank. You're not there to loan them money. You're not there to um, pay for music videos. You're not there to do any of that. If you want to do that, and if your artist wants you to do that, then you need to seek some advice, you know, some legal counsel on how to create a label so that you can own a piece of that intellectual property that you're going to invest in. Um, and, and that's really, it's, it's that simple, right? A manager is not supposed to invest money or loan money, right? That's a label's job or a publisher's job. And for the young managers out there, if you have artists that are going to ask you these questions, I'm not saying don't do it. Just make sure you're papered correctly. Great. That's it. Just like that. It's just like Mic that. drop. Um, okay, uh, I, I guess the last thing before we go. Go right ahead. Before we go. The future of El Judio. <laughs> What's going on? What's up next? The future of El Judio. Um, right now, uh, Flo is going to put out a big album next year. We're really excited about that. Justin's got a really amazing project uh, coming out as well. Um, Isaac, we uh, ex are expecting some really big things. I mean, his song is just flying right now in Puerto Rico, yeah. and congrats on that. That's yeah, awesome. and uh, it's moving in in Spain, and and it's just it's doing really well. Uh, and then uh, you know my label, uh, Always Good Music, um, AGM we call it, and then the publishing company Hits by the Fam. Uh, 
it uh I, i'm really excited for what's to come there both on the the producer side one of our the boy scout uh, bk is right now um working with daddy yankee extensively wow um and um that's been really really cool more not, not again not that there's really been any real big money or anything coming in yet but just it's like that door was open through signing through the publishing company and it's working right and now he's in there and you know, it's great to hear him call me and say, Huli, like Yankees and, you know, I'm going to Puerto Rico. Yankees sending me the ticket. I'm going to go to, you know, uh, you know like, it's like, imagine, right? Yeah, like living the dream. Imagine living the dream. Right. Um, so I, you know, and I've goose and you can't see the goosebumps, but those are the things that inspire me. Right. When I, when I get those phone calls or when I see the system working um, and that's really when it's not about the money. Sure. Is the money going to come? And th those moments when I get those phone calls or, and I, I can list them from, you know, uh, the team basically did the, uh, almost the entire Arc on Hell album that just came out in, in November, right? Um, you know, to have these kids, not kids, but young adults um, working with someone like that, you know, who, you know, they, you know, they've idolized probably for 10 or 15 years of watching, you know, him on social media. And now they're in the room. To me, that's what gets me excited. Um, so I, I feel that in addition, you know, the artists, their careers are well on their way. Um, but on the label side and the publishing side, I feel like there's some really, really big things coming. Amazing. Yeah. Um, I want to say thank you for this, setting this up and being here in the first yeah. place. Thank you for feeling, making me feel like more of a gringo. <laughs> I said Archangel, I think, earlier. You did. You did mess it up. I did. I yeah, did. Yeah, I did. Yeah, and yeah. now I just learned Art on hell. I, I'm like, okay, great. Thank you. Um, I didn't want to correct you. No, no, no. Uh, it's good. It's good. I got it to the, at the very end. I got it here. Uh, uh, but thank you. And you're, you're, it, it's been a pleasure being able to talk to you. So yeah. thank you so much. Thank you so much, yeah. man. Exactly. It was a lot of fun. Cheers. Take care.